You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. And today this is the charming and very funny Mae Martin, uh, who was one of the later uh, recordings of the show at the Edinburgh Festival this year, recorded live at Black Medicine uh, on Nicholson Street, lovely little coffee shop. Um, so this one I, I was going to release later. I know I promised you Matt Lucas this week, but I've budged him a week back and brought the May Martin episode a week forward because she has got a run at the uh, Invisible Dot in King's Cross in London, which begins on September the 21st. And I'm very keen for as many of you as possible to see it. I absolutely loved her show. Uh, as you'll hear, I saw her doing a work in progress show at Edinburgh in 2014. Uh, and she took a lot of that material on and then brought it back. Is it a really interesting way to do it? I mean, maybe we should all be doing it that way round. Uh, and that might take the pressure off, give us two years to write a show. We can spend a bit of time on it and make it as good as May made hers. So uh, so you can Google up the information. You know I'm not very good with uh, giving you the correct URLs and what have you, but The Invisible Dot is the name of the club, and it's in King's Cross. It should be very easy for you to find uh, from September the 21st for two weeks. Do go and see this show. Uh, as you're about to hear, May is just an absolute pleasure to spend time with and very, very funny indeed. So without further ado, this is May Martin. Now this is thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. What a thrill! Um, thank you. I'm uh, I am really excited because I got to do tonight. I've been able to do what I would love to. I'd love it always to work like this. I saw your show. We ran here through the rain, and now we get to talk about it. So let's just check and don't let's not feel bad. Uh, oh, good either way. Give me a cheer if you have seen May at this year's festival. Thank you. Okay, that's, that's all right. right. We did yeah, a little yeah. announcement at the end. We thought we might bring some people over with us. Um, so tell us about, tell us specifically about tonight for anyone listening to this who was there tonight or has been there on this run. How did tonight go? Tonight was was good. It was, it's so hot. So many of the rooms at the Fringe are so hot. It was really like a sauna. I've just changed my t-shirt because I was drenched. My legs, in, I'm wearing the tightest jeans and my legs are like, like eels like eels with like rigor mortis <laughs> that's what they feel like and yeah. you've actually changed your t-shirt into an identical t-shirt identical yeah yeah have you got a do you always perform in a white t-shirt you know when charlie brown opens his wardrobe and it's like identical <laughs> shirts that's what my wardrobe's like yeah white t-shirts blue jeans okay yeah. very good and how is the run going is it, it was absolutely packed tonight there were angry yeah. bouncers on the door because there were so many people clogging up uh, your venue that. the city calf and is that representative of your run so far? Have you been well attended? It's been it's been really full. Yeah, sometimes full and 
quiet, but always full. It's been really, really nice. I think the free fringe is is amazing. Yeah. You actually started putting this show together, or I mean, I certainly saw some parts of this show in a work in progress show that you did last year on the free fringe. So tell me about that process. Tell me about the evolution from from that show to yeah. this one. I think I'm always going to do it this way from now on. I did last year a work in progress show where I, I just had the audience come and write down questions and then put them in a bucket. And then it was pretty much, I'd say 80% of the hour was answering questions and improvising. And then I used that to kind of develop the material. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been two years. It's so much nicer that way, guys. So much less stress. Yeah. So, so you've, you've spent two years working. So when you went on stage last year, did you have anything? Did you have notes with you? Did you have anything in your head? What was the, what was the plan? Yeah, I had, I had about 20 minutes probably and, or, or less. And, and I had a rough idea of the themes I wanted to talk about. And then I just asked people for any questions. But it was during the election, during the, the referendum, uh, the, during the election. So people kept asking me really political questions in the bucket about like Scottish politics. And I, I didn't know the answers. <laughs> There was a lot of, uh, like, moving on to the next one, but, yeah. And let's just put you in, in context for people that maybe are less familiar with your work. What, how would you describe, and I hate asking people this, I never know what to say when people ask it of me, but what do you, if people were there tonight, what kind of show, what kind of experience would they have had? I think I, it's, I do very personal stuff, personal stories and quite revealing stuff about my childhood and my, my teens and... Um, is quite warm i think not particularly aggressive although maybe that will change as i get older i already feel it starting to i'm a bit more pissed off are you well i don't know sometimes i feel (laughs) i feel i feel sometimes like i yeah i get i'm a little more comfortable being not needing to be liked all the time you know what i mean yes i think when i first started just desperate to be liked and fill every silence with like is everything okay and now i'm a bit more comfortable with silence maybe okay yeah. so how long have you been doing comedy now well it's embarrassing to say Stuart, but i knew this question would come up <laughs> um i started uh when i was 13 i dropped out uh well i dropped out when i was 15 dropped out of school started doing comedy when i was 13 i was doing sketch and improv so uh 15 years i've been doing it Okay. Yeah. And you it should be way more successful. <laughs> it always fits. It's horrible. It's like it's like another yeah. equivalent of that is the thing when uh, I, I sat next to uh, someone, uh, a reviewer in a show last night, in Jenna Friedman's show, yeah. and uh, the reviewer is a friend of mine, and he turned to me and he said, "So uh, you're not doing a show this year, are you?" I'm like, oh, thanks, thanks, man. Oh. Do you know what I mean? It's that moment of just going, well, I am, and it's going pretty well, but apparently no one knows. Oh. But similar to that. How long have you been doing comedy? 20 years. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been going 20 years. Yeah. But it will. So when, you're, when you were 13, what started you off? What motivated you? You said you dropped out, in fact, and you just talked about this on stage just yeah. now. You dropped out not realising that, like, no one else was going to drop out? Yeah, like, I just didn't think it through at all. It was such an impulsive decision I, I hadn't done my homework in months and and I got called into the office I was skipping school and they were like look you're gonna have to do all this makeup work and I was like nah, I, I'm dropping out and then and then was like oh no <laughs> but it was because I fell in love with comedy really I was I was really addicted and obsessed with comedy from from when I was about 13 I couldn't because I started getting work right away because I was so young people would put me on as a novelty kind of and uh so then I was getting all this work, so I was I was out four or five nights a week doing it. Age 13? Yeah, 13, 14, yeah. 
That's incredible. That's like the... Um, have you ever done the stand-up comedy for kids? The comedy club for kids? No, I want to. They're, it's a really fun gig. It's regular comics doing their regular stuff, just having taken away the swearing and the adult references. And it works surprisingly well. <laughs> and it, one of the lovely things about the comedy club for kids is that it... Um, it really separates people who, like, some comedians like to go, I'm, I'll do anything, I'll do any gig, I'm a scary, dangerous kind of comic. Yeah. You go, do you want to perform to children? Oh, God, no, I don't want to yeah. do that. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. Um, but one kids of the... are so honest, aren't they? They, yeah. they let you know right away if they don't like you. Absolutely. But yeah. what's happened is because they've also been doing a, a series of workshops for kids, like an academy, to you know, it's like a Saturday afternoon workshop. Some of those kids are now like, I don't know, something like they're maybe 15 years old and they've been doing comedy for five years. That's mad. Which is weird and I'm not going to say creepy, but (laughs) there is a sort of sense in the room of like, that is quite an odd thing. So you're almost, I mean, I I look at those kids now and some of them are very funny and some of them are kind of have been relying on the cute value for a while and now it's kind of, okay, that's not there. Yeah. You know, the jokes have got to be there. I definitely did that. I had that problem. Did you? Yeah. For sure. Because you're, you're like an experiment. You're like, oh, flash forward 10 years, <laughs> you get May Martin. There was definitely a, a couple of years from around 18 to 21 where it wasn't... Because for so many years it was like, and your next act, you're not going to believe this, guys. She's so... Got braces and acne. and uh, <laughs> But then all of a sudden I was 18 and it was like, there, there were a handful of other 18-year-olds and it wasn't that cool anymore and I had to up my game a bit so what was what was your initial game just to stay with the, the 13 or 14 year old you as a stand-up like what was your opening line back then well i started doing sketch and and uh for years and then it was yeah when i just turned 15 i started doing character monologues so i had this character i would do who was called Catherine butchko and she was uh like really nervous so that was good because i was very nervous <laughs> so i could go on Smart. i could go on and be like quivering and uh i wore my school uniform and uh it was she was inviting the audience to her birthday party um which was from 7 to seven thirty on a tuesday <laughs> and uh yeah so i did that and 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 yeah and i just got a lot of traction quite young and then and then dropped out of school and then and then and then i was like oh i got it I'm a comic and I got very pretentious and like I mean if there there are some videos of me I all of a sudden was like I'm Lenny Bruce and I would go up I remember going up when I was 16 and smoking cigarettes on stage because I thought that's cool that's no that's really like rebellious and everyone was horrified everyone was like why is this child smoking (laughs) why is if they allowed this child in the venue it was yeah very embarrassing and how did you how did your your peers react um, I, w- I didn't hang out with them. I hung out with older comics, yeah. I didn't. I had a handful of friends f- from school, but I was really, like, I just wanted to... Sp- I started working in the box office of uh, Second City that and performing there. So I was just... My whole life was comedy for... And I, yeah. Yeah, had a lot of older boyfriends and girlfriends. But, like, yeah, very rebellious time. Was, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and do you... And did that feed into your material? Did you find something, I think, that happens sometimes to comedians when they only hang around with comedians? Yeah. It's like they... Did, did that ever become too much that you were just constantly thinking about comedy? Do you look back yeah. on that now as like a healthy creative time? Well, I'm glad I got a lot of stuff out of my system early, a lot of kind of comedic habits and things. And... and Can you give us some examples of the sort of thing you're talking about? Oh, uh, like... Well, Canada. I'm from Canada, and uh, the scene there is quite small. And and if 
something becomes trendy. Like, I feel like in England, there's so many different cliques within the comedy community. There's kind of nerdy comics and there's poet comics and there's all these. But in Canada, if one person starts doing one thing and everyone's like, oh, they're using sound effects and everyone will start doing it kind of a little bit. Okay. Maybe. So I would, I did, um, yeah, I did it just kind of, I did a thing where I was at my own funeral and I was doing all the characters giving eulogies, you know, pretentious, like stuff like that. I had, I did a lot of voices and, um, yeah, did a, I did, I really, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. You, are you embarrassed <laughs> now to think yeah, about it? Yeah, I really am. I, I can't imagine if you'd given me a microphone when I was 13 exactly. years old. What a little prick. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. A lot of complaining, a lot of like, oh, I, I know all about everything. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it was only, I think I only sort of found my, my voice when I was about 21, 22. And, oh, I'm mean, still finding it. We're all still finding it, right? Yeah, yeah. Everyone, most comics, we have a thing in comedy of like finding one's voice of like, oh yeah, this guy found his voice yeah. really late or she found her voice really soon. Um, but I've noticed among my guests that whenever people go, oh, that's when I found my voice, most of them, I think of any of them with, who have any class, will then immediately go, I mean, obviously we're all still finding it. Yeah. It's, it's always like no one wants to, to lay claim to it and go, I'm now the finished product. Yeah, oh no, far from it, yeah. So you're, I mean, it's interesting because I can't really imagine you, something I often ask my guests is how much of your real day-to-day self is there in your persona? It's get, got closer and closer. It's incredibly close over now, isn't time. it? Yeah, n- yeah. Now I've, I'm, yeah, I'm more comfortable in myself. I think it's pretty close. Maybe a bit more enthusiastic and uh, chipper and warm, but it's pretty close. It's pretty, uh, yeah. It's just funny. You saying the word chipper is incredibly chipper. Chipper. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> chipper. So um, did you? And did you have to go through different versions of like if you're getting closer to it now? like finding your voice what were the other permutations of it that you tried on when you were younger like for years up until like this year last year i was i would just stand very still with the mic and leave it in the stand uh now i'm walking all over the place (laughs) it's very liberating uh you know i i used i did musical comedy for years i did a mix of of stand-up and musical comedy for years and then the the Bits between the songs just got longer and longer, and then okay, I don't do songs anymore. I don't, I don't have to do the songs anymore. Is that what you were saying? No, well, that's what I was implying. Yeah, because <laughs> I, it's, it sucks bringing a guitar around. Okay, okay. you know, yeah. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> I never did musical comedy. I made the decision because I was a, a, a circus a street performer before oh, I did stand up. Right, I knew so that. So I made yeah. the decision very early on never to bring any props on stage. God, that's a good place to learn, doing it on the street. And you really have to grab people, right? Yeah, it's a good place to learn to be all shouty and stuff. Right, right. I don't know if it necessarily creates brilliant comics. But, um, which is not to slag off any of the carnies who are now rich, powerful comedians. (laughs) Wasn't Eddie Izzard a... Eddie Izzard Izzard was, yeah. yeah. Well, Eddie Izzard was one of the reasons I became a full-time street performer. This, one second. Uh, guys, hello. This is a sort it's obviously not a comedy show. It's kind of a documentary. And it's sort of too fragile for you to have a chat in the middle of it. Sorry. Is that cool? No worries. That's fine. It's just a little kind of, kind of constantly. Thank you. No, no worries. 
I'm just so terrible at dealing with things like that. I can't do it. The problem is the, the energy that I have on stage, and this is a big problem for me in gigs, and I'll ask you about this in a second, is whenever, if I'm in the middle of a show and people are, you know, as, as happened then, absolutely not heckling, but just maybe not completely with a sort of an outside eye on the noise they're making. If I say anything about it, audience, it's like I've broken the contract that I have with the audience <laughs> by being warm, and everyone goes, let's bring this back to you how do you deal with stuff like that you're an incredibly nice comic you're a nice presence tonight was ridiculous tell us what happened tonight so yeah these people they queued up they were the first in the queue uh, to get in they came and sat in the front row a group of four people really nice audience members laughing away then about half an hour into it this, this guy I can see him talking to his friend and 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 they're really stressed and i was like oh are you okay right before a punchline it's always right before a punchline i was like are you guys okay and he said i'm really sorry I've, we've got to i've got to run away and i was like oh I, i'm sorry and he said uh we have to go see another show we booked tickets for a show at 10 my show ends at 10 15 and i was like oh okay and then i said well is it a good show at least what are you going to see and he said as oh, some mime <laughs> What? But it was such a great... When he first said, because your show has got some pretty um, uh, deep themes, it's got some pretty interesting stuff that you're talking about. And like you said, it's very kind of... uh, You're sort of bearing your innermost thoughts about sort of important, relevant subjects. When he said, I've got to run... My first thought was, uh, he, he can't cope with this. There's some yeah. sort of element about, you talk a lot about gender issues and sexuality yeah. issues. And I sort of thought, oh, this kid's freaking out. He's got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. No, I've got tickets for a mime show. Yeah. <laughs> and have decided to sit at the front of 120 people. His friends were furious with him too. They, they, so the two guys left and then they got up to leave and went the wrong way and couldn't get out and had to cross back over. And I felt terrible for them, but also hated them. <laughs> so- <laughs> So what was what goes through your head when your show is not necessarily attacked, or when you're doing a set when difficult things happen? You know, if you work in commercial comedy clubs, you're on. I mean, on the circuit, is it the same in Canada? Is it is, as you work in the UK? You're on just a regular commercial circuit of clubs. You've got to put up with difficult elements in the crowd. Yeah, I think people are more vocal in in the UK for sure. It happens more often in Canada. Very polite. Very smiley <laughs> but I, I, uh, it really depends on the situation sometimes it can work in your favor and it's fun and it kind of everyone feels like they've had an experience and it, it unites everyone but sometimes it's uh yeah I'm trying to think of a time when I've been people don't really uh, there's something about me I think makes it look like maybe I might cry if you heckled me <laughs> so people are very I don't I've never really got it very badly like I, I'm not somebody who who kind of attracts it so, yeah, usually it's people really answering rhetorical questions or just get, thinking it's a conversation and, and really answering everything. And then you just have to, at a certain point, it's almost harder when they're doing that because they're not trying to be rude and you have to just be like, are you going to do this forever? <laughs> yeah. So what's the, what's the difference in content between the show we've just seen tonight mm. and your 20-minute, your club set? Are you talking about? Are you able to talk at length, at a similar length, about the same sorts of issues in in a club? No, the, I do a mix of kind of older stuff that's um, just more observational. And so my show's about uh, this year is about sexuality and labels and that kind of thing. I mean, it, yeah, it's more broad than that. But it's uh, yeah, in clubs, I, I think I do a mix of older stuff and then maybe some of the more accessible. I mean, it's all. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know yeah so no i don't i don't get into the more like 
well, there's just parts of it that have fewer punch. I go with the highest gag ratio. <laughs> yeah. You know. And what, so when was the first time that you felt like, as a, as a teenage comedian, did you feel like, this is it, this is, I'm, I'm nailing this? Did you have a first gig when you went, this is, I mean, was there like a, a life-changing moment where you went, this, I'm going to spend my life doing this? Have you made that decision? Have you? Um, well, I remember when I was about 11, my godmother took me to um, a comedy club because I asked her, because Ace Ventura had just come out, and I was a huge fan of Jim Carrey. And uh, I was like, I, oh, comedy's so cool. And she took me, and I sat in the front row, and I was wearing a little uh, suede vest and some corduroy trousers. And all the comics kept uh, speaking to me because I was so little. And uh, the headliner came up, and he brought me on stage and put me on his lap and said, you're going to be my ventriloquist dummy. And he said, every time I squeeze your neck, open your mouth. So uh, he made me say filthy things. He was like, and he thought I was a boy. So, because I had a little mushroom cut. So he made me say like, I like Pamela Anderson's tits and like all these things. And then it was, and everyone was laughing. And then at the end he said, oh, do you have anything to say? And I said, well, I'm a girl. And then, <laughs> and then that got a huge laugh. And I was like, oh, and then I, uh, <laughs> I went to that- school the next day and was like, I killed it. <laughs> Really that, is such, that is such an incredibly unique origin story. <laughs> yeah. I was misplaced as a ventriloquist dummy. Like, yeah. So your first laugh, your first experience of doing a gag to a room full of, of strangers, of strangers yeah. was this enormous warm laugh. Yeah, it was really nice. And then, um, yeah, I, I just... It's a really nice place to learn comedy in Toronto and it's a really nice community. And I, I had a, a good group of people and it was, Second City is this chain of clubs that, that like like sketch comedy and improv clubs. And there's one in Chicago, one in Toronto, and I worked there for years, and it was like just such a nice place to run. So, yeah, no no one gig except for that one. <laughs> yeah. Do you still do much improv? I think of you absolutely first and foremost as a, a club comic, or a, a comic, uh, oh, touring comic. That's nice. Um, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> but I'd like to. I'm so rusty, though, as you can tell. <laughs> I, um, do you think... Which which comics are there that have a foot in both camps of improv and of improv? Or yeah, because they're quite, they're very different skills, aren't they? Because it's a very different game that you're playing. Yeah, and stand up is, or perhaps that one of the things stand up is about is the individuality, the ego, the uniqueness. Yeah, and then I suppose, and I've never really done proper, I've never done training for improv or yeah. anything like that. But that seems to me to be far more sharing and giving, yeah, and outward directing rather than all this me, me, me kind of stuff. Yeah, it's all about listening and yeah, not going for the the obvious joke all the time but building a, a thing but yeah i'd like to get back into it i there's it's pr- something pretty magical when when it go when it's really good but then i think maybe there's nothing worse than bad improv i have to, I, I don't see a lot of improv because <laughs> of the fear of bad improv there, there's absolutely nothing worse <laughs> than bad but there's maybe nothing better than good improv but it's there it, yeah it can be so excruciating right <laughs> So remember, you can catch May at the Invisible Dot in London uh, from September the 21st for two weeks. That's very soon. That's sort of probably as soon as you're hearing this. So uh, leg it out there, get yourself some tickets and don't miss this wonderful show. So, she's so warm on stage. I mean, you can hear she's completely beguiling um, just in her in, in her kind of uh, guys, right, guys? Like uh, uh, it's it's just part of 
a persona that I think is very real. It's a very authentic uh, persona. It's a very authentic voice that she has. And she's just one of those comics that's so easy to spend time with. You never look at your watch during her shows, no matter how absurdly hot her venue might have been in Edinburgh. Um, so more from May in a moment. Uh, before we get to that, I, at the time of you listening to this, I will be in L.A. I will be gate crashing the L.A. Podcast Festival and uh, I will be trying to run around the place uh, seeing as much as I possibly can and drawing all sorts of inspiration from some of the brilliant people who are on there, including Jimmy Pardo, uh, Matt Kirshen, who uh, you'll have heard on this show. Uh, he'll be doing his Probably Science uh, podcast out there. Um, and also uh, Todd Glass is going to be there. Uh, Patton Oswalt is going to be in town uh, doing some shows at uh, Largo at the Coronet and uh, all sorts of exciting things will be happening so I will try and bring you back as many uh, stories and exciting photos and the like from that as I possibly can uh, in the meantime I will try and bring you that Matt Lucas interview next week I, for some reason I kept holding on to that to try and do something special with it uh, and now it's the right time for it to come out so uh, apologies to Matt for budging him a week uh, in favour of May um, so there's going to be lots of exciting stuff to tell you uh, when I get back from that. Uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for your donations. Uh, and before we get right back to the show, there's just enough time to tell you. You can email me info at comedianscomedian.com and get in touch. You can tweet me at comcompod or follow my own Twitter account at Stu Goldsmith, which I use even less. Uh, but occasionally there'll be uh, you know requests for uh, someone for the hive mind to tell me the correct size of rule plug for something. So uh, you could do that if you'd like. Uh, you can join the Comedians Comedian Facebook group. And if you are if you would like to join the legion of extremely nice and supportive and passionate comedy fans and comedians that listen to this show and like to support it financially, then you could do that by going to comedianscomedian.com and clicking the donate button. Uh, that'll take you to PayPal and you can donate me any amount you see fit if you're enjoying this chat with may and you think god isn't it good that Stu went along and watched loads of her shows and did loads of research and then formulated an interview such that he could find out what makes her tick and try to uh, explore uh, her comedy and her creativity in a way that you might feel useful uh, why don't i give Stu five quid you can absolutely do that if you want to take that idea and, and spread it to the rest of the 140 show uh, series thus far then that might be something more akin to I can't do the maths, 500 and... Six. It's a million, it's a million, it's a million pounds. So uh, feel free to donate any amount you see fit uh, at comedianscomedian.com or simply find me in the street or at a festival, come up to me. And as someone did recently, uh, the comedian... Well, I, I won't give his identity away, I didn't check uh, if he wanted to, but it's a, a cracking up-and-coming comedian with a couple of Edinburgh hours under his belt. Uh, rather than press money into my hand, he chose to tuck it into my front trouser pocket. So thank you very much, you know who you are. Uh, thanks for listening to this waffle. Let's get back to the brilliant May Martin. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> Talk to me about your, the structuring of your show, of this particular, how many, what, what number hour is this for you? Um, this is my third hour. Okay. And it's the most themed hour, and it's, um, yeah, it's kind of, it was precipitated by a breakup, it's about being single for the first time and thinking about your life and who you want to be with and, and that kind of thing, and, um, you know, it's the first time I feel um, a bit... Well, it's the first time I really care about my show. I really, I think, because I started in my teens and then right away, this uh, even before I was speaking about my sexuality and stuff, they, it was, they'd always say lesbian comedian Mae Martin. Even before I said that, that was like the prefix to my name, just always. And so, and all of a sudden I, I've thought, I don't know if that accurately describes who I am or if that's so, but I always avoided talking about issues like that because I didn't want to be further labeled as a gay comic so I, I always thought it was maybe making more of a point to do just observational stuff and to make the point of like well, look I'm just talking about other stuff but then this year is the first time that I've been like oh, I'm kind of pissed off about a couple of things and I do care about these issues and and so I'm kind of being like oh, I'm gonna try and talk about it so it feels scary and I, I care about it. In the context of the, the first hour that you did, when was that? When was your first Edinburgh hour? Uh, 2011. Okay, and what was that one called? It was called... Uh, <laughs> it was called May Day. That's totally Colon. fine. Colon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not waving, I'm drowning. Okay. <laughs> now, why are you squirming to say that? May Day is what I'm squirming at. And also I'm picturing the poster, which was... Ooh. Um, but it's... Yeah, that one was a mix of songs, and uh, it wasn't about anything really. And then, uh, but I enjoyed it. And was it uh, was it kind of any sort of an opening statement? I mean, you say that this current show is the first one you've cared about. I imagine you mean yeah. I mean, I'm sure you cared about the first one. Yeah, yeah. I think when a lot of people do their first hour at Edinburgh, one of our preoccupations is this is my one shot at the newcomer award. This is my chance to plant a flag in and go. This is who I am. Yeah. Were you thinking along those kind of lines at the time? No, I think I was lucky because I just moved to England and I didn't understand anything about Edinburgh. Like I, I came up completely uh, a virgin to it and. I didn't know anyone and I was at uh, in just the tonic in the caves and just did, I I did shows for three people and it was, I just had to, I didn't even know about the award I don't think so I didn't I mean yeah so maybe that was good maybe it was bad but I had a pretty stress-free time and then out of that I did Russell Howard's good news right after and then that and then that changed it and then it felt all of a sudden like it mattered more and it's more scary could, because why, why why did it feel like it mattered more? Because you felt more like people were gonna it's, it's see happening. it. Yeah, or more people came the next year, and I felt like oh, I got it actually, you know. So the next one was about puberty. It's called Slumber Party. Regret that title too. <laughs> why do you regret that title? Uh, it's just what is it? <laughs> Slumber Party. What was the, what also? Was the po- I don't even call. It, I call it sleepover. We call it sleepovers. <laughs> do you, what do you call it? Sleepovers in the UK. Yeah. 
so why did I say slumber party when no one says that? Not Americans, not British people. <laughs> what was the uh, what was the poster for that one? It was like oh, it was weird too. It was I mean it was an animation kind of a cartoon of me at a at a slumber party, and uh, I looked very pale. Oh, I hope the guy who made it doesn't hear this but it was shit <laughs> it wasn't shit it just was it was weird when you say birdie oh that's nice that's my friend birdie peak in the audience hey birdie he says so, he kind of liked it but he's being nice so that relationship between me and birdie your <laughs> that relationship between a comic and what a comic is sort of projecting through the promotional stuff yeah. like we mentioned before you you always wear uh, blue jeans and a white t-shirt on stage only this year this is okay. only for convenience and because i just <laughs> and also i have found if i wear like a tank top or or something like a plaid shirt where i'm a bit more boyish or if i wear a tank top people are first of all threatened by my massive guns uh, yeah. and my for the benefit of the listener may is rocking some unbelievable guns i've been really <laughs> crunching some some real numbers but um <laughs> but yeah no what, were you, what was the question uh it was about the different the the relationship between the content of the show and the performer and the promotional stuff yeah show. yeah so and it wasn't I, really it a question it, it was a sort of a i didn't think it, ma- it gelled and then this year this year i'm i'm being produced by the invisible dot and they have a really clear brand and kind of image and I'm, I'm, it's a bit frightening as well because it's like a very serious photo of me not smiling, which is very much not my vibe. But, um, but then maybe it's a more serious show and maybe it's, you know, nice okay. colors in the poster. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I, like, I think your image this year is brilliant. I think Thank it really you. sums you up. I think one of the, the great things about The Invisible Dot is that really clear, the, the kind of the clarity of image that they just, everything they seem to produce, you go, oh, it's cool now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're, they're trendy. They have a very nice font. <laughs> they've got one yeah. hell of a font guys <laughs> they're good though they have a kind of um uh yeah they, i like everything they're producing this year they've got six shows very good shows <laughs> so talk to me about the last year of writing between the work in progress show and this show did you we i felt like i recognized from the from the one time i saw the work in progress last year mm. i felt like i recognized quite a lot of the show or like the oh, I, I was good. you were doing bits and I was going oh hang on a minute it's uh she's gonna meet is it Hugh Grant no it's Jeremy Irons yeah yeah, Do you know yeah. What I mean? when we kind of get to those bits so t- tell me about the writing over the year did you were you recording those gigs last year yeah I recorded most of them in Edinburgh last year the work in progresses and then I've done more previews than I've ever done and and I've been doing the material on the circuit you probably maybe, I don't know if we've gigged I don't think we've gigged together last year huh. well in I saw you in Montreal didn't I Oh, yeah. That was nice. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> Just come back from the Montreal Comedy Festival, guys. It was so fun, guys. I don't like to talk about it unless someone else brings it up. One night, can I say, I, this is not embarrassing for you, but one night at the after party, Dennis Quaid was there. I mean, there's no story there, but just what? <laughs> what's Dennis Quaid doing at a comedy festival? Do you know what Dennis Quaid... Didn't meet him. Do you know what he was doing? Sorry. Sorry. Do you know what he was doing? I saw him. I saw what he was doing. He was doing the Jason Reitman reading of uh, uh, The Big Lebowski. Cool. With Pat Oswalt as uh, the John Goodman role. So cool. It was super cool. That's amazing. Me and Ed Gamble sat and watched it. It was really cool. And Jennifer Lawrence Jennifer was Lawrence was in it. 
Crazy. And some other cool actors whose names I don't remember. Yeah. And but rest was, assured, it was a cool situation and we were all cool. But no, it really brought out the nerdiness of comedians where everyone, the minute people heard that Jennifer Lawrence was around, everyone was just like, I gotta go back to my room and change. Yeah. Freaking out. <laughs> exactly yeah. Right. yeah. People who had previously been posturing around yeah, this bar yeah, going, yeah. well, there's Bill Burr over there. I'm not even going to say hi. I'm too cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so you're recording the shows. Yeah, and then just doing lots of gigs, and I, I compare um, a monthly night, and that's always a good place to... I love comparing, because you have so many chances to win over the audience. Like, if you're ever just starting doing comedy, just start a night, don't you think? And then yeah. and then book other comics, and then you've got all this stage time, and, and it's like room to play around. And- I think that's a really good tip for newer comics, is to start your own thing, because not only will yeah. you give yourself all of those bites of the cherry in terms of the stage time, but you'll also understand you'll see the business completely from the other side of the fence and yeah. go, oh, look what annoying dicks comics are when they cancel yeah. gigs all the time. And, totally. And, and you'll meet, you'll make lots of connections and, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to abbreviate that. To Co- oh, connect. Connect. <laughs> yeah, I knew you've been abbreviating things all night. I've been abbreviating a lot. Your fish position. A fish definition is my Your favorite. Your fish definition. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah. I've been abbreviating a lot. And others. Come and see the and show. And others. <laughs> stuff yeah. in it. So, um... So the writing process. Talk to us. Are you the sort of person that sits down with a laptop or a notebook or is all the writing happening on stage? What, what do you do to that stuff once you recorded, listen back to those gigs from last year? What's um, the next part of the, the journey? It's all... I, I can't believe I said journey. I'm so sorry. The next <laughs> part of the process. It's all... Um, I, I feel like I need the adrenaline of, of being on stage to, to come up with any kind of punchline. So I, I usually start with point form... Point form notes. I rarely write what, down. What, what do you mean by point form? Like I, I'll, you know, I, I'll have a funny image. Like uh, you know, when you're riding in the back seat of a car with your mom, and you're imagining you're in a movie, and your mom doesn't know that you're like in this bizarre kind of fantasy. I don't know, an idea like that. And then I'll go up and t- and talk about it. And so and you won't have written any. You won't have written any punchlines for it. You'll just go the idea. You'll have an instinct for the idea being funny. Yeah. Yeah. And then go up and try, sometimes die so badly, and then um, and then and then build on it, and then maybe I'll, I'll when I still have the adrenaline from the gig, I'll go home that night and write it out, and then um, sometimes, so I'll usually end up with a list of point form notes, then they'll grow over the months, and then um, and then eventually, like I think in July this year, I typed out my whole show, and it totally sucked the life out of it, and I tried, I did it, my preview after that was. Sh- terrible and then i thought i'm never gonna do that again i tried so hard not to do that yeah. this year i did exactly the same i'll come up with stuff I, I mean i do write separately but when it, I, I tried this year never to touch my laptop yeah and i still did it because whenever i'm writing on my laptop i know that that's because i've, I've lost faith in myself and totally. i've run out of all the way i did but maybe if it'll look nice in if i change the font yeah do you know exactly what I mean? yeah and i can't read a set list that's typed I, uh, yeah it's all got yeah handwritten i think yeah. So your what kind of things, what decisions have been made in the structuring of this show from that first preview to now? Well, can you give us a, a good way into it might be, can you give us an example of a bit that you dropped? Tell us about something you took out and why. Oh, yeah. Um, it's changed a lot from the first night of Edinburgh, I think. The first night uh, I've, I've, I took a whole bit from the middle and moved it to the beginning. Uh, yeah, but a bit I dropped was a bit about... Um, going to a wedding and um, I 
my friend said to her cousins, I, I went to a wedding in Italy. And my, I, I mean, uh, am I telling the story? Yeah, yeah, you can <laughs> okay. do it. It's fine, but we, you know, you, you can uh, crazy the story yeah, and was, we'll work out why. It was a long story and it was, it, it didn't have enough punchlines. And it was, uh, and I tried to sort of just trim all the bits of the show that weren't necessarily uh, helpful to the theme. And, and how do you feel about that trimming process? Do you know you know that sort of kill your babies thing where you go, oh, but that that works. That one yeah. time it really works and it's oh. died ten times, but maybe it'll work again somehow. There's still stuff in the show now that uh, never gets allowed that I'm so reluctant because I... Cause can, like, can you give us an example of one of that? Having yeah. just seen it, tell us which bit you, you feel... Um, I have a joke about how we like very binary categories. It's, it's simpler for us to to think of like good and evil, liberal, conservative, and straight and gay, black and white, but really there's so many shades in between. There's at least 50 shades of gay. So maybe now it's because I deliver it like that. Maybe yeah. that's like, <laughs> Maybe. But maybe. it always gets a groan, but I just can't... I don't take it out because I like the point it's making, but I hate that joke. What should I do, Stuart? I, well, I don't know. Take Certainly anyone that's planning on seeing the show in the next few nights, when we get to the 50... When May gets to the Fifty Shades of Gay Punchline, if you could just roll your eyes or something, yeah. just to <laughs> help convince May to drop the bit, just tart, look I at the I need to drop it. Somebody came to my show tonight before the show and she'd had a t-shirt printed with a, with a line from one of the shows on it and gave it to me as a present. I've, which which line? I was so charmed. Fifty Shades of Gay. Yeah, <laughs> Keep it in, mate. Keep it in. <laughs> it was, uh, you don't have to be gay to be gay. Yeah. Yeah, she had it printed. And uh, yeah, I almost cried. I was so touched. It's totally marketable. Yeah. <laughs> Put my merch head on for a moment. That's got to be, you've got to get on that in the uh, Yeah, bumper stickers. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about your relationship to your crowd, who do you think they, they are? The average audience member, or the average audience, rather. What do you think they feel their relationship with you is? Hmm. I think I... Uh, well, a mix, really. I get... I, after, because I did... On Russell Howard, it was a weird phenomenon where because I, I spoke about erotic Harry Potter fan fiction <laughs> <laughs> on Russell Howard, I then got a very specific audience of people who were, but, but a very, like, devout audience of people who were like, thank God, finally someone's talking about <laughs> what we love. <laughs> wow. And that is absolutely, that's an internet bit of, a like, niche, that's a, yeah. Yeah, and they're mostly teenagers and uh I'm very active on Tumblr and these kinds of things, and they're great. And they, um, so I get sort of people like that a lot. And then I get, um, I get people who seem to kind of want to be my parent. Like I get sort of middle aged mums. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, really sweet people who afterwards are like, keep at it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I don't know. I think it's a real, I think it's a real mix. And uh, I, but I feel like I'm pretty. Uh, approachable in my show so afterwards i get a lot of people come and like share stuff with me or they want to i noticed after the show today when you when you finished you said Th- thanks very much and everyone started clapping and as the clapping died down like three or four girls all shouted you're awesome <laughs> do you know what i mean you're you're you did inspire that kind of uh that's they... very nice yeah. yeah yeah that was very nice yeah well, and why do you think that is it can't just be approachability do you think that they that they relate to you because of what you're talking about or because of how you're saying it I think maybe, yeah. I think, um, yeah. I think but this year in particular, is, but people seem to be like, like, yeah, m- yeah moved, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm just wondering if you're going to explain. I didn't quite know what you meant by that. People are mo- are you are you yeah, hesitating I'm- to say moved by it? Yeah, that seems so wanky. But it was because I'm, this is, I said this is the place to be wanky. It's the place to be wanky. Well, I think, well, anytime you're, you're talking about, um, I'm talking about, uh, the show's kind of about how I think it's a bit archaic, the way we view sexuality and the way we label it and stuff. And, and I think, so I get, and, and I grew up in a really progressive and liberal environment where I, I never had to come out or anything. My parents were like hippies. And I think a lot of, people watch that especially young people and are like i i wish i grew up you know what i mean like Mm. they've had a tough time they've gone through stuff and so they come and and chat to me after it's very nice very nice for me when you when you talk about some of the content of the show i don't want to give too much of it away or obviously want people to go and see it but when you talk about the fluidity of sexuality in general and your sexuality more specifically and you talk about the fact that people have always assumed you were gay you haven't really made much of a deal of it but sometimes you've dated men and you talked, you've got some material about the fact that your friends will kind of go, oh, what, wow? Like, I mean, there's that great line about, like, you lied with your hair. Yeah. You know, which is a fantastic <laughs> line. Um, do you feel that that changes your relationship with your audience? Well, I did. I got booed at a gay pride festival the other day because I talked no about, way. yeah, I talked about um, dating boys and they were like, oh, no. Um, which is fine, though, but I, yeah. It's, but you got booed, like, during a gig. Yeah, not like aggressively, just like ah, oh, and then I had a group of women. A group of women left the show the other night because they were like, "We thought this was a gay show." But the whole point of the show is like, there's there's not really any any such thing. Like it does, it's not like yeah. And so I think yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe because I've done material in the past about, but I don't think I've ever said I'm I'm gay. I've always said I'm a little bit gay or I'm I'm quite gay. <laughs> You know, but I think a lot of people were really excited and, and then are maybe a bit... People have fought quite hard to be able to say I'm gay. So for me to say, I, you know, I don't think anyone should be saying I'm straight or I'm gay. It's, there's no point. It doesn't change anything. Then I, th- I You think, think they're, people, they're frustrated? Yeah, because there's some, it's a very recent battle, right? Is it almost like check your bisexual privilege sort of thing? Yeah, or, yeah, or just like... Yeah, it's it's we only just got gay marriage and stuff. Like it's very recent, but so it's kind of a post, like an aspirational show about how I think things should be in the future. And so yeah, I, mean, I have a bit of flack from the gay community, and and not, how, not much, not much. How do you how do you feel about that? How does that make you feel as a performer? Do you want? Does it make you angry? Does it frustrate you? Does um, it hurt? Uh, worries me. <laughs> yeah, it worries me, but it doesn't. No, it's not. I'm not that worried. I think it's an important. Message. I'm trying. I think I do I'm it. Sorry, I'm just distracted because two people have just left. I'm assuming it's not in disgust because there. this has turned out to not be a gay podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't mind. I think it's it's a generational thing. I think maybe some some old of the older generation. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. I think I'm respectful of it of everything. I hope. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it throws me for sure. I want to ask you about... Okay, here's a, this is a favourite thing of mine to do. If you were to review yourself, yeah. if you were to put yourself in the, in the position of a, a comedy critic, yeah. if they exist, and hey man, there's no such thing as criticism or indeed the industry. <laughs> but if you were what? to... That's a, that's a thing of mine. I don't believe there's any such thing as the comedy industry. Um, but uh, if you were to put yourself in the position of a, a comedy critic and review yourself... Mm-hmm knowing what you know about your performance, your habits, your foibles, how would you review yourself? Um, I would say um, 
Well, depends on the night, but... <laughs> yeah, critics never talk in those terms. They no, see you once. They see you once. On your worst night, your most flawed night, so let's get the most out of this. I'd say uh, a tendency to check in with the audience too much. Like, is everyone okay? <laughs> Does everyone... <laughs> guys, uh, somebody once said I, the, the way I say guys is like a verbal tick. Uh, so I'm very aware of limiting that. Um, I think... Um, Mm, yeah, kind of getting uh, more economy of words would be nice. Trim out the rambling and the hesitation. Get to the punch. <laughs> that's that's why all the abbreviations so you can fit in all the rambling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing and and confidence always. But I think that's coming with age. I feel more confident now than I have. What do you think is the root of that that kind of tick? If you like to to check in with the audience, is that a desire to please or to be liked or to make sure they're yeah. listening? What <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big time, buddy. <laughs> and where do you think where do you think that comes from? Lots of us, lots of comics have. Oh some... yeah, everyone has it. Well, no, not everyone, but um, yeah. I well, it gets to laugh sometimes as well. So being and if a punchline doesn't go well then you can get a laugh by going guys uh, <laughs> usually uh, but yeah it's to do with just wanting to be liked and but I you... think I, I mean everybody in any job right as everyone gets older everyone stops caring that as much about what people think but it is it's sort of different when you're being reviewed on basically your personality <laughs> being like do I like this person and and what they have to say and who they are, so it is that's daunting. But I'm starting to care less. And were you were you a happy kid? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I had a very happy childhood, I would say, and then I was a very unhappy teenager, I would say. I I, I well, I was a little shit, you know. I was very rebellious. I got into drugs quite heavily in my teens, and then um, went to rehab, and then. Uh, got over it and now I'm very happy and very healthy was that that sounded like I was lying there <laughs> that sounded like I'm on heroin now <laughs> guys so, um, uh, guys and was that was the drug use was that through the comedy circuit was that the fact you were a 13 or 14 year old girl hanging out with comics yeah. doing coke in the dressing room or what was the pretty much well it was a mix it was uh, I sort of found it at school encountered it at school and then um, and then in the yeah in the comedy community this you know a handful of bad apples in a great community uh who were quite like yeah there's always going to be you throw a teenage girl into any put her in an investment bank you're gonna get (laughs) a couple of vampires you know Yeah. yeah but uh then a very supportive industry as well and I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone about rehab can you are you happy talking about that can you tell us what that's like It was, uh, I went for nine months to a, it was a day program. So I moved out of home when I was 15. I moved in with a boy and then, uh, yeah, I put put myself in rehab. I went for nine months. It was a day program is the wrong type of rehab because you meet all these kids, all you got in common is drugs. And then at the end of the day, you're like, let's go hang out (laughs) 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 at like 3 p.m. You know, with all your shared interests, and then, um, <laughs> but it was, but it was amazing in many ways. It was, it was. I was on my life had just kind of. I was sort of stopped doing comedy because I was, and I was broke, and I was on on welfare. My I wasn't really speaking to my parents, and then I went to rehab, and it was like uh, amazing because I got there, and all these kids were from very rough backgrounds, and I'm just this like 
middle class, like privileged, spoiled kid, basically. And it was a wake up call because I was like, oh, these kids have had really tough times. Uh, And it was just even just having eight hours a day where you're sober and you're like learning to cook. And (laughs) we did. We went to a theme park one day. We had school lessons and therapy and and it was great. And it really helps. And is that something you have to pay for when you say you you put yourself into rehab? Is no, it, no. What's, it was, how does the system work? You can just kind we of we have free healthcare and it's covered by that. And okay. you you go in and say hello, please, can I come here? And it was run by the two leaders of it were these two women called Michelle and Stacy. They were awesome. They're from Jamaica and they were so scary. And you'd get in in the morning and they'd say, how many joints did you smoke last night? And then you'd go, "Uh, one. And then they'd go, you're lying to me and you're lying to yourself. (laughs) It was so good. And it's like, oh God. (laughs) They were amazing. They were, I really, yeah, they were great. So are you happy now? Yeah. I mean, you know, the world is so crazy. I think it's, you know, I just don't really believe... Well, it's like we were saying, but we like to put things into binary categories of, like, happy and sad just don't really begin to explain an emotional state, do they? I'm some... Like, happy is, like... you Yeah, I'm happy right now. I'm also, like, a bit nervous. I'm about to go do a show. I'm, like, a bit hungry. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm happy, yeah. That's a really good answer. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Which it's kind of had elements of evasion, like what do we mean by happy? But also, yeah, at the moment. Yeah, so no, nice... but I mean, like, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky and, and privileged and my life is good, and, but the world is fucked, isn't it? Right? Like, yeah, so we're all happy, but we're not really because it's so scary here. I'm just impressed that anyone can get out of bed in the morning. I think we're, we should all be really proud of ourselves just for living. Hello? That was <laughs> good. Are... That's good. That's I've got really dark, haven't I? Not at all. Not but, at all. No, life is good. We're all good. What do you, what's your kind of greatest ambition in comedy? Or what, what do you want from your comedy career? Hmm. I think if I knew that more clearly, then I could take steps towards it more easily. I think I wish, I think I need to figure it out. There's, I, there's very little that I wouldn't like to do. Like, there's very little that if they were like, would you want to do this? And I'd be like, no, thank you. Like, I'd like to... Um, tour more. I, I'm proud of the show. I want to. I want to take it places and maybe get it on the radio. Or okay, I'd love to get a Comedy Central special. I'm gonna. I think spend more time in the states. Love to do it. I've been writing for different TV shows and stuff. I'd like to keep doing that. What? Which TV shows have you been writing? I'm writing in Canada for a sketch comedy show there, and um, yeah, and I think I'm writing on a. I still work a bit in North America. So okay, yeah. And what's the experience of just staying with that writing? What's the experience of writing for... Is that for a sketch show that you're in? No. So you're writing words for other people. So how does that feel different? Is that a different kind of experience? Yeah, really nice, really refreshing. Uh, Yeah, really good. (laughs) It's it's, it's easier, I think. Why why is it easier? Because you... You don't edit yourself as much because you don't have to say it. Yeah, <laughs> I suspect it as much. Yeah. I think I, on the very few occasions I've turned in stuff for other people and I don't have a great history of that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I'm sure they can do something with this rather than, oh, Christ, what will yeah. I do with this? I sometimes think, do you ever think, I'd love to write, I know some really famous comics have writers. I'd, I'd love to try and do that. My favorite comics, I'd love to write jokes for them sometimes. That'd yeah. be really fun. Have you ever worked with a writer for you? Have you ever written no. your stuff with someone? 
Mm, or like no. other comics kind of knocked ideas around or suggested things? Well, that always happens a bit in clubs and stuff, like after your set. Adam Hess is a great guy for after a set being like in his manic way, uh, yeah. recommending a like a tag or something for a joke, but no, not officially. He's yeah. also great to have at your crowd, as he was tonight. Adam Hess is yeah. one of the big laughers he's of the comedy circuit. He's such a circuit. lovely boy. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's very nice. You should catch his show. It's called Salmon uh, because he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> I mean, he's an incredible. He's like this generation. I mean, it's a tired uh, 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 comparison, but he's sort of this generation's Adam Bloom. I would say. Yeah. He's an incredible jokes his just fall jokes, out of him. Yeah. His Twitter. He's like thousands, hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers because he, yeah. he's just churning out these amazing one-liners. It's a real discipline that. Do you have. do that? Do you work with Twitter much? Do oh my you... god, my tweets are so dry. It's like, hi guys, thanks so much for coming tonight. Just want to say hi, everyone. Uh, like really, they're <laughs> I really... don't even get around to that. If people get one of those out of me a week. So earnest. <laughs> <laughs> um, does anyone have any questions for me before we wrap up? Good question. I should have thought of that. Oh, I'm an idiot. Edit out the guy with the beard. So, May, <laughs> if you um. If you were, if you, you mentioned before that you uh, would like to write jokes, <laughs> so I'll leave it in. I'll leave it in. Um, that you'd like to write jokes for for people for your favorite comedians. Who would be your your ideal person to write for? I'd love to write for Tignataro, um, yeah. and because her pacing is so different to mine, she's so slow and calm and in control and um, and I, and dry. And I would love to write some stuff for her. Uh, I mean, she'd. Say no. <laughs> uh, Kyle Dunnigan, I think, is a comic in the States. He does amazing voices. And uh, anyone who has a skill that's different to yours, where you think, I couldn't do that, but I would love to. Oh, I mean, not to bring the mood down, but to write something for Robin Williams, and because he, he can do anything. And so to write something with all those voices and hear him, hear him riff on it would be amazing. I just listened to that podcast, Mark Maron and, yeah. and Robin Williams. Fucking hell. Yeah. Sorry to bring the mood down. Oh, what a question yeah. to wrap up with. Um, I, and we've, we've got to do this in one minute and then we've got to get out of here. So let's finish on a high note, May. Are you at a stage in your career where you never die anymore? Or if you are struggling in a gig, what kind of strategies have you got to write to yourself? I think uh, the minute, if I said I, uh, that I never die, I would die tomorrow. But I, I, uh, I definitely d- don't always do well. But I think if I finally, after, and keep in mind, after 15 years... <laughs> I finally, I think, would say I never, I, re- I mean, I never like really die where it's like everyone feels it and everyone feels, t- you know what I mean? I, I rarely, I would say that doesn't happen anymore. That would be, but it's when I do badly, it's because of nerves usually. It's because I've, I've let nerves get to me. So usually when it matters most, <laughs> that's when I do the worst. It's a very special trick. And finally, just to stay with the uh, the negative thoughts that this guy's just, <laughs> uh, very finally, uh, what would you have? Uh, you can interpret this any way you like. What would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Oh, guys? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for May Martin. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Stuart. <laughs> 
So that was Mae Martin, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget, as if you could, that she is at uh, the Invisible Dot in King's Cross from September the 21st to October the 3rd. And I'm only saying that because I like her and I think she's great. Uh, I realise I've mentioned that so many times. I should probably have asked for some sort of advertising revenue, but that is not uh, how this show works. Uh, I'm only happy to plug things I love. And uh, at the moment, at least, I'm, I'm resisting. I get Every so often I'll get a, an offer to advertise something for money, but my, my sort of process on that is I only really want to talk about things I'm genuinely passionate about. And as soon as I start accepting money for it, then maybe that muddies that. Who knows? Maybe I will live to regret saying these words uh, when I have Minnie Goldsmith, my little uh, impending baby, uh, next year. And I think to myself, no, fuck them. I'm just going to advertise everything I possibly can and take people's money. But uh, that, that's a, a little diatribe that was arguably unnecessary because this is simply an honest, passionate and, and money-free, a revenue-free advertisement uh, for you to please go see May Martin at The Invisible Dot for two weeks from the 21st of September. Coming up next week, Matt Lucas. I'm not going to swear any kind of blood oath, but th- that episode has to be heard. It was so much fun to record and he was such a gent for coming out to do it. So um, let's, let's bung that one out and then uh, I'll tell you more when I get back from the exciting city of Los Angeles. Um, I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you.